Hey, Crispin here on the North Shore Vineyard Church Audio Podcast. Today on the podcast, part 11 of our series on the Gospel of John. This message is entitled, The Meat is in the Streets. Today we continue our look at the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. And I think we're going to find some, some great things about kingdom ministry, what it means to do evangelism the way that Jesus did, what it means to partner with God in the work that he is doing in the world. Really good stuff here. Uh, I had a fun time preparing for this message. You'll find it helpful. Well, we're going to go ahead and head over to the talk, so thanks for listening. Be sure to check us out on the web at northshorevineyard.org. Let's head over to downtown Covington, North Shore Vineyard Church. Well, we have been going through the Gospel of John for a couple of months now. Now we're to part 11, I think. Part 11, yes. And we're going to be picking this up in John chapter 4, um, in verse 27. It's, it's a little wrong in your uh, bulletin. So just to set this up, Jesus has been talking with a woman, a Samaritan woman at a well in Samaria. And that's kind of where we pick up this part. Verse 27. Just then, Jesus' disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. Even now those who reap draw their wages. Even now the harvest, they harvest the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap where you have not worked, where you have not worked for, what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Do we have any classical music fans in here this morning? Okay, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna play classical music. Uh, name that tune, okay? See, see if you know this, this song here. Hallelujah, chorus, hands on the side. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Well, I found another version as well. This one's uh, by another modern, not so much classical group, but uh, see, see how you like this one. is turning over in his grave. Uh, <laughs> that'd be a good alarm clock song. Yeah. Uh, 
You know, something interesting about Handel's Messiah is, as far as classical music go, goes, Handel's Messiah was composed in a very short amount of time. Uh, Handel wrote the entire symphony piece that, that goes on for more than an hour. It's not just the Hallelujah Chorus. It's a, it's a huge piece of music if you've ever heard it. But he wrote the entire thing for all these different parts of, of you know, instruments in the orchestra, all these different singers, all these things. He wrote the entire thing within about three weeks. Now, that's, uh, that's quite a, a, a feat because <laughs> you could spend months, years writing one piece that long. And Handel re- recounted that event, and he said that, that in writing the Messiah, he said it was like an otherworldly experience. It was like a heavenly vision. He said he, he frequently went without eating. He frequently went without sleep because he was in the zone. You ever, you ever get so wrapped up in something you just forget about food altogether? It's, it's hard for me to get there. But <laughs> it's rare that I, I, I miss food or sleep, but... Uh, there have been a few times in my life where I've gone into the studio to record an album and the creativity just starts flowing and I'll find myself in the studio for you know, a week to 10 days working 16, 18 hours and it's just because it's clicking and you, you just forget food, forget sleep. This is, this is magic what's going on right now. And when you hit those moments, you just got to stay there. Well, I think that's what we see going on with Jesus in this moment. The disciples, they're out you know, looking for a Burger King in Samaria, trying to get some lunch. And they come back and they're like, Jesus, uh, do you want something to eat? You hungry? I mean, you've been out here this whole time. And Jesus, what does he tell them? He says, I got food that you don't even know about. And they're like, somebody give him a snack. I mean, what, what, what's going on? And Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. See, I think Jesus is kind of like Handel's, you know, composing the Messiah. In that moment, he gets a glimpse of what God is doing. And this is something that that history has been building to. This is the first time that we see in the Gospel of John where the kingdom of God is breaking beyond the confines of the Old Covenant. See, up to that point, all the action had been in Israel. Up to that point in history, everything had been done within the confines of, of the, the Israelites, the covenant people, the ones who were following the rules. The Samaritans, as Penny noted last week, they were looked down upon. They were looked at as people who were a half-breed race following a, a, a religion that wasn't even pure. And Jesus begins to see the kingdom of God breaking through to this Samaritan woman. And he is excited because it goes all the way back to Genesis 12, the promise God made to Abraham that I'm going to bless you, that all the nations of the world might be blessed through what I'm doing to you. It's been, I don't know, 1,500 to 2,000 years since God made that promise. And now Jesus is seeing that promise begin to break from the old covenant to a people that that would be the last people on earth, you would think. This this woman who's a Samaritan and, and even her whole village. Jesus is absolutely stoked. You realize what is going on. I got something that is feeding me, that is that is compelling me, that's that's a lot better than food. It's doing the will of him who sent me and finishing his work.
you know, there's a, the saying, which is the title of this message. I know this message can, can kind of appear like a, a you know, B-horror film kind of title. The meat is in the streets. <laughs> I can see that movie poster. Okay. Uh. <laughs> but this is actually a saying of John Wimber. John Wimber's that guy who actually started the Vineyard Movement 30 years ago, which has gone on to be hundreds of churches in the United States and several hundred around the world. But John Wimber, he, he noticed something, and I've noticed it in my years in church too, that sometimes you get people in the church who are like, we want to know the meat of God's word. I remember in Kenner, we were going through the gospel of Matthew for like two and a half years. Uh, and occasionally, people who'd been Christians for many years would get aggravated why can't we dig into the meat of the scriptures, find the, the deep hidden meanings, the, 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 the spiritual realities? That's what we want. Well, John Wimber's response to folks like that was, the meat is in the streets. If you want the meat of what God's doing, if you want to, the deep stuff of God, find it in the people that are outside the church. Find it by looking around at what God's doing. Don't find it by gazing at your navels and, and, and tr- trying to, to uncover these hidden things. If you want the deep things of God, look for it in the people. See, I think that's what's going on with Jesus right here. He is connecting with what God's doing. And, and i got to tell you, you get a taste of that, it will absolutely ruin you for religion. You know, it'll ruin you for going through the motions and just showing up and doing this and that. When you get to step into situations like Jesus is stepping into right here where you sense what God is doing and, and you come alongside that, it, it just blows religion up. You'll never go back. The meat is in the streets. It's in your coworkers. It's, it's the conversations you have with your family members. It's, it's those in, in sales meetings. That's where we need to ask ourselves, what is God doing? See, in this passage, we see the work of Jesus the evangelist. We don't think of Jesus a lot of times as an evangelist, do we? A lot of times that word evangelist kind of carries a certain connotation. You got to have slick back hair and you know, you got to say, Jesus, you know, uh, <laughs> glory to God. <laughs> okay. I won't start. I won't start. I'm going to have to repent in a minute. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but Jesus is doing the work of evangelism here. Now I got to say, most of my experience in the church has been in evangelical expressions of Christianity. Uh, and, I, I agree with that. Uh, evangelical churches, if you don't know much about them, I mean, it's not like a particular d- denomination, but they believe in sharing the gospel, inviting people into a relationship with God. And I'm a big fan of that. We didn't start this church two years ago just to have a nice little club of people that would gather together and sing Kumbaya and, you know, uh, have food together or whatever we do. We're here because we want other people to get in on the story. We want other people to be reconciled to God. We, we don't want to just celebrate what God's doing in our lives. We want other people to get in on it. But I got to tell you, the term evangelism, in my years as a Christian, what it, mean, what it has meant in a lot of groups of people that I've been around is you've got to be a good salesperson. You know, you've got to come up to somebody and 
this is, you know, this is your life. You, you're a sinner, and you need to receive Jesus. And then once they make a decision, you check them off the list, you never bother them again in your life, right? <laughs> I, I heard a joke one time. I won't mention the denomination, but how do you get uh, a person at a church to leave you alone? You go up and respond to the altar call, and they'll never bother you again. <laughs> It's not as funny without the denomination, but I won't say that. Uh, <laughs> but that's what a lot of people think evangelism is. i, I got to tell you, that kind of evangelism, I'm not great at that. I hear these pastors all the time talking about you know, being on an airplane, and they're sitting there for a few minutes, and they... Uh, I'm hot. Uh, you know, they're sitting there for a few minutes, and then before they know it, they, they have... You know, shared the gospel with the person next to him. I got to tell you, when I'm on a plane, I'm kind of like put the iPod earphones in and just keep to myself. Don't bother me. And I'll, I'll try to take up as little space as I can. <laughs> but what we see Jesus here doing here, and there's nothing wrong with people who are gifted. At that. I'm just saying that's my personality. I, a lot of people think that because I get up here and I talk all the time, like I can just talk to anybody. And I, I'm not that great with people that I don't know. Um, but what we see with Jesus here is a different kind of evangelism altogether. I've mentioned this a few times, that a lot of people have this idea that Jesus is like Superman, right? Like, he may look like Clark Kent, but we know he's got superpowers. He's got x-ray vision. He's got all these powers he can use at any time. But if you look in Philippians 2, it talks about Jesus. It says that though being an equal with God, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be exploited uh, in his relationships with people. He didn't, though Jesus was God, he, he put aside his God powers and he lived in this world as a human being indwelt by the Spirit of God, perfectly submitted to the Father's will. That's, so, you know, the good news about all this is the life that Jesus lived, it's available to us. And so what's going on in this story is that Jesus is talking to this Samaritan woman, but he's paying attention to what the Father is doing. And so he's talking with her. He asks her for a drink, and they start having this dialogue. All of a sudden, he hears the Father say, Ask her about her husband. Except it might have been a lower voice. Ask her about her husband. No. So Jesus asks the Samaritan woman, Why don't you go get your husband? Oh, I don't have a husband. That's right. She said five. That's right. <laughs> You've had five husbands. The guy she's with right now, she's shacking up with. And the guy, you're, <laughs> the guy you're living with right now, he's not your husband either. And what does this woman say? She goes, you're a prophet. I can see that you're not just the normal person trying to tell me what's up. You've actually got some insight about my life that you shouldn't have. Now, it's interesting here. I mean, think about this. This woman was living in a very immoral relationship. That's probably why she was there in the middle of the day, because she was ostracized from community. If you were, Penny mentioned that last week. If you were a, a woman at that time, that if, the, the time to go gather water would have been in the morning or in the evening. You wouldn't show up in the middle of the day. Nobody does that. It probably indicates that she wasn't part of the community. She was ostracized. Or maybe it was just her own shame. Maybe she just felt bad about what she was doing. And Jesus actually mentions the very thing that she would have been ashamed of 
but it doesn't put up a wall. Isn't that interesting? Confronting somebody about their sin, but in a way that doesn't make them defensive. I mean, you ever try to confront somebody about something they're doing wrong? Anybody? How'd that work for you? (laughs) But Jesus is led by God's Spirit in this thing. And God says, this is the issue we're going to hit on. And so when Jesus brings it up, it doesn't make her run away. She doesn't get defensive. Actually, she opens up her heart. It's the last barrier that Jesus comes through. Jesus steps through the barrier of race. You know, there was the racial division between Jews and Gentiles. He, he breaks through that. He breaks through the gender, uh, you know, the relationship between men and women. Teachers would not, you know, rabbis would not talk to women. He breaks through that junk. But the final barrier is her own shame. And he just walks right on through. And she's reconciled to God. That's a whole different kind of evangelism, isn't it? Because <laughs> Jesus isn't looking at her as a project. He's not trying to sell her something. He's just paying attention to what God is doing. Actually, spoiler alert, in the book of John, we're going to cover this a little ways down, but Jesus actually says at one point, the son does nothing by himself, only what he sees the father doing. That's how Jesus did his whole ministry. His whole ministry was done in in relationship with his father. He was paying attention to what God was doing, and he was coming alongside that. That's pretty cool. Jesus sees what God is doing. The disciples completely miss it. It's funny, up to this point in John, if, if you realize it, the disciples really have not played a key role in anything. I mean, they said yes to Jesus. They start following him. But at the wedding feast in Cana where Jesus turns water into wine, the disciples are just watching. Jesus actually uses the servants, the waiters, to to do the miracle. When Jesus talks to Nicodemus, the disciples aren't around. And here in this story, what are the disciples doing? They're trying to find a Burger King in Samaria. You know, they're, they're, they're looking for lunch. And Jesus, when they walk up, they miss. They just totally don't understand. Why is Jesus talking to a Samaritan woman? They, they just don't get it. And Jesus begins explaining to him, you don't realize what's going on. See, the disciples, they didn't see God's kingdom breaking in for two reasons. Number one, and I put it in your outline, they were distracted by their own desires. Now, it's not that their desires were sinful. It's not that it was sinful to look for food, but they were distracted by that. You ever get just distracted by your own desires? You know, yeah, this is what I want to do. I'm not thinking about God. I'm kind of hungry here. I kind of wanted that park in place. I'm not listening to Jesus. I kind of wanted to be in that lane. They were distracted by their own desires, so they weren't paying attention to God. But the second thing, and I think this is probably more important, is they were distracted by their own prejudices. I mean, Samaria was the last place they expected God to show up. I mean, you don't understand how scandalous... The, the relationship between Jews and, and Samaritans was. I mean, how bad it was. It was scandalous that Jesus was talking to a Samaritan woman. When Jesus tells the parable of the good Samaritan, you know what was so scandalous about that was that the hero was a Samaritan. Jesus was trying to make a point. It would probably be the equivalent in our culture of having the, the hero being a Islamic fundamentalist. 
You know what I mean? It's, it's the last person an, an evangelical, conservative, Protestant Christian would think could experience God. And, and that is the force of it here. But we all have people like that in our, in our hearts and our minds. People that, that we think, nah, God wouldn't show up over there, don't we? We all got prejudices. We do. Well, a lot, yeah, most of the time we don't see them because it's the world in which we live. It's the water we swim in. Everything in our world pushes in on us to think a certain way. Who is your Samaria? Who's the last group of of people on earth you would think God could move among? Is it somebody with a different lifestyle than you? Is it somebody of a different race? Somebody of a different socioeconomic status? Maybe it's somebody in your family. I mean, come on. You you may have some people in your family that you're like... (laughs) There is no way. They are beyond God's mercy. They're just not thinking about God. They're not going. There's no way God is going. But yet we see in this story, the last people on earth that the disciples would have thought would get in on God's blessing are the very ones who get in on it. They didn't see God's kingdom breaking in because they weren't even open to the possibility. (laughs) They weren't open to it. God can move anywhere, but it it just wasn't on their radar. For the disciples, going through Samaria was just a distraction. It was just something they had to get through. So get some lunch. Let's keep the show rolling. But Jesus was paying attention to the Father, and he saw that, no, we're not going to keep rolling. This is what God is doing. God is beginning to break through. Jesus goes on to say, and I can just, I get a sense that Jesus at this point is beginning to just get excited. I mean, he's going without food, and then he tells the disciples, he says, look, guys, there's a saying we have that, you know, another four months, and then you'll have the harvest. It's probably something you'd say around this time of the year in Louisiana, you know, in January or something. You know, another four months, and and we'll see the, the harvest coming in. You'll see tomatoes at the farmer's market and bell peppers, whatever. Jesus says, not another four months. The harvest is ripe. It's right out there. Look around, guys. Look at it from God's perspective. The harvest is ripe. It's everywhere. And then he goes along to tell them, you guys are going to get in on fruit that you haven't labored for. You know, I tried to do a garden the first year that we planted the church. I thought, I'm going to plant a church and plant a garden. I realized that not that great at the garden part. <laughs> Gardening is a lot of work. It's a lot of labor. I'd much rather go to the farmer's market and pay a few bucks for those fresh tomatoes. What's even better is if you've got somebody who, a friend who has a garden, and they like, you know, have too much stuff and they give it to you. That's entering into something that you haven't worked for. I'm a big fan of those kind of tomatoes. Jesus is telling them, you're going to enter into something that, that you haven't worked for at all. God has been doing stuff through, throughout the prophets, through the story of Israel. God is even doing something right now, and the fruit is coming up. And all you got to do is step out and find it, just like Jesus did with the Samaritan woman. It's right there. You know, we did a, a book study last year for our small groups. Um, on a book by, by uh, Todd Hunter called Christianity Beyond Belief. 
And before I go to that picture, we'll try, we'll try this. I'm going to call this me and others. And you can call it me for yourself. So I'm just kind of, you know, first person, third person. Uh, <laughs> In this scenario here, this is what a typical conversation looks like. I go talk to Bill, and it's me talking to Bill, and you see two-way communication. And that's the way most conversations work. But Todd Hunter presented this idea of instead of just me and others, what if when I'm listening to Bill, what if I'm also listening to God? I call this the uh, triangle of presence. The idea is when we go about our lives, I can just have conversations, regular old just me and others. But what if in these conversations, whether it's with a client, whether it's with my kids, my family member, what if I start paying attention to God's presence? What if I go into a meeting saying, God, I pray that that as I'm going to meet with these people, that you would open my eyes to see you. You'd open my eyes to hear you. See, that's what we see going on with Jesus and this woman at the well. Jesus is, is, is talking to her, but at the same time, he's listening not just to her, but to God. See, when you get a taste of this, that's when Christianity really starts to pop. It starts to get fun. You know, a couple of months ago, I sat down at my computer just to write kind of some thank you letters to some friends of mine, uh, you know, a few different people that that had really meant a lot in our lives in the last year. And and as I began typing, just started with being thankful, I began to hear God saying something. So I kind of went with that. I felt like God was giving me some, some words for him, some scriptures, and so I just started going with that. What should have taken me 15 minutes ended up taking me a couple of hours. And so at the end of it, I had, had some words to give to some of my friends. But all it, all it really was was paying attention to God as I was talking to my friends. I wasn't talking to them, but as I was thinking about them. See, God is always up to something. God is always speaking. God is always moving. That's what we can see in these passages. Jesus is saying, look, you get to reap in stuff that you haven't even worked for. Just pay attention. See, I like Jesus' kind of evangelism a little bit better than modern church evangelism. Because I don't feel extremely gifted as an evangelist. I'm a lousy salesperson. I'm the kind of person that people like to sell to because I'm a pretty good... (laughs) customer (laughs) pretty easy sell (laughs) but when i see evangelism put in terms of you've got to you know be able to communicate this and that i'm like man it's just not me it's not my personality but what we see with this is that this is something anybody can do you know jesus actually said at one point he said come all come come to me all you who are burdened down and weary In the context that he was talking about it, Jesus probably meant religion, burned out, weary because of the pressure of religion. I mean, think of the Pharisees. They came up with hundreds of laws. If you're trying to follow them, it it was going to burden your life. And Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. My yoke is easy, my burden is light, and you'll find rest for your soul. What is a yoke? It's not just the thing inside your egg. 
A yoke was this thing that you would, this wooden contraption that would connect two ox together when ox were going to be pulling a plow. And the picture that Jesus is using is, yoke up with me. Let's, let's put that, that, that yoke, put it on me, and let me carry you. <laughs> that's, that's good news. See, the, the work of God, it's not burdensome. It's, it's not, it doesn't come with the weights of religion. Because how many times have you felt like, man, I, I don't know how to pray good enough. I'm not good at talking to people about Jesus. I'm not very good at this or that. I don't feel spiritual enough or religious enough or whatever. Well, Jesus is saying, it ain't about that. It's just about paying attention to what the Father is doing when we're talking to people. And then when God gives you an opportunity, just being willing to say, can I pray for you right now? Now, when I say that word, when I say, can I pray for you right now, that might be kind of terrifying because you might think of prayer as being, you know, thou most holy God, Lord of hosts, you know, cometh thou right now. And, you know, maybe prayer is this thing that has, has been scary to you because you've heard people pray and you're like, man, I don't know how to pray like that. You know what? I've found the biggest prayers that I've seen God answer in the past couple of years when I've prayed for other people, they've been really simple prayers, less than 20 words usually. God, I just pray for Dan right now that you would uh, help him, you know, with, with the situation at his work and, and just, just bless him. Amen. Now, that sounds like a really lame prayer maybe, you know, it, no fancy words, no religious things. But, you know, Jesus said, God's not impressed by all that stuff anyway. See, what we're doing isn't about how cool you can pray or how spiritual you can sound. It's simply about looking at what God's doing. If we see God's doing that, if I see God is moving in Dan's heart and and I need to pray with him or share something with him, then I do that. And it doesn't, it's not me. See, we tell people, we got a prayer team up here. Well, we invite them up at the end each week. And if you need some prayer, we have our prayer team. But you know what our prayer team, what the vineyard prayer model is? It's, it's basically this. You come up and if you want prayer, what we usually do is say, come Holy Spirit. Because <laughs> I realize if, if God doesn't show up, I got nothing. <laughs> if you need healing, if you need peace, Crispin ain't going to give it to you. You know, like I, I got nothing. I can maybe pray something that sounds good, but what we're trying to do is not just sound good. We genuinely want you to encounter God. So we invite God's presence. Lord, show up. Show me how to pray. I pray that one all the time. God, please direct me in this. And sometimes it means that when we're praying for people, I got to tell people sometimes like, I'll pray for you. I, I don't have anything right now, though. <laughs> My ears are stopped up. I'm not hearing from God. But, but many times I find just like that, that letter that I was writing to the friends of mine, many times just by inviting God, getting quiet, settling down, not trying to hype up, but just getting quiet, God begin to speak something to me for this other person. Does this mean anything to you? Is God doing this? Because what are we doing right there? We're starting to pay attention to God and what he's doing. And so if anybody gets healed, it's because God showed up. If anybody gets set free of anything, it's because God showed up. That's cool, man. You know, that's a much better thing than the religious, like, I got to try harder. I got to try harder. No, the only thing you got to try hard to do is to pay attention to God. 
and cooperate with what he's doing. Try that and you will be ruined for anything else. Good song, Good song right? <laughs> uh, in a practical way of, of doing this, the last couple of years that, that we've been doing this church, we've done this thing in, during the Lent season, which we call 40 Days of Faith, and it's uh, not, not, a, not connected with Rick Warren in any way. We just like the 40 Days thing. So, <laughs> uh, But we just have a, a time as a church of really... Um, drawing near to God, and we, I, I put little uh, scripture readings with some questions on our website. But one thing that we've done the last couple of years is we do this thing called Pick Six. And what Pick Six is, and you can see it on your outline, it's just making a list of six people in your life that you will commit to pray for every day for the next eight weeks. Now, when I say pray for them, I don't mean that you've got to spend an hour praying for them. If you've got an hour to spend and you want to do that, that's perfectly fine. But understand, you can put this on the dashboard of your car. And those of you who drive across the causeway, those of you who got to commute to work, heck, my commute is, is like 15 minutes. But that's enough time to pray for six people. And the idea is that we would begin stepping out of our own comfort zone and stepping into the, the life of somebody else and just begin seeking God. God, what are you doing in the life of my friend John? What are you doing with Sally over here? And, and we be, just begin lifting them up and praying. And maybe in our prayers, God begins to give us some insight. Maybe the insight is to direct our prayers. Maybe the insight is something we need to share with them. But the, the, the purpose of this, part, partly, is to just begin paying attention to what God is doing for other people. And so we spend from now until Easter praying for them. And so I want, I want us as a church to... to Try that. You know, no, we, we normally start like after Mardi Gras, but I figured it's okay to get a couple of extra weeks of, of praying for people, right? Is that okay in this church? Okay. Uh, but I just want you to think. You don't have to have the names of your six people right now. But by next Sunday, just come up here and try to get the names of six people that you will just lift before the Lord for the next eight weeks. And let's see what God does. I put on your list, pray for the people on your list five to ten minutes a day, but I also put set, a time, set aside time to spend with the people from your list because this is where it gets fun too. It's like I don't want to just pray for six people in my life. Make an opportunity over the next eight weeks to maybe some, spend some time with them and see as you begin to pray for them, see if when you spend time with them, maybe God opens up some things. The, the idea here is not to treat people as projects. We're just trying to see what God is doing and that see that God's kingdom could show up in their lives. Who's in? All right. Why don't you all stand up?
the sun. Of-